0: You're listening to the Evanston Bible Fellowship Podcast. EBF is a community of sojourners empowering one another to cultivate gospel transformation.
1: To learn more about our church, visit ebfchurch.org. Today's
0: reading is from Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 to 39 guys a second while I get arranged as well. All righty. Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 39, and I'll be reading from the NIV. They went to Capernaum, Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching, because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit cried out, "'What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? "'Have you come to destroy us? "'I know who you are, the Holy One of God.' "'Be quiet,' said Jesus sternly. "'Come out of him.' "'The evil spirit shook the man violently "'and came out of him with a shriek. "'The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, "'What is this, a new teaching?' "'And with authority, he even gives orders to evil spirits, "'and they obey him. "'News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. "'As soon as they left the synagogue,' They went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they told Jesus about her. So he went to her took her hand and helped her up. The fever left her and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons but he would not let the demons speak This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Antonio and Kat and praise team. It's a joy to be with you today. And whether you're here in this room or joining us uh, via live stream, welcome. And whether this is maybe your first or second time or you've been here several years, you're part of the family, welcome home. It's good to see each and every one of you. We have been exploring the gospel according to Mark, in a series called Jesus the Servant King. And two weeks ago, we were looking at Christ's calling of the first disciples in Mark 1, 16 through 20. While we did that, we were challenged with how, like the first disciples, Jesus authoritatively calls us to follow him in community and to participate in his mission. That Sunday, we also explored more of our vision here of Welcome Home at EBF and outlined how it is truly all about Jesus, community, and mission for us as a church. Last week, our very own Daniel Grell, who you might have seen as one of the greeters on the way in, explored Luke 9, 23 through 26, which dovetailed really well with the calling of the first disciples. As we then explored more of what the cost of discipleship is, denying ourselves, taking up our cross, and following him in the costly way. We are reminded of how this is, only po- this is only possible through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. And today we re- return to Mark chapter 1, as we just heard read, where Mark actually gives us what we might call a day in Capernaum, a day in the life of Jesus, a day that comes to characterize much of his early ministry in and around Galilee. And we're going to see this bears all the hallmarks of Jesus' early ministry, teaching, delivering, healing, pursuing his mission, all as a display of his powerful authority. We'll see the impact of his ministry, the growing excitement that surrounded him, and the truth that wherever Jesus is present, God's power to deliver and to heal is there as well. Would you pray with me? Our Father, we thank you for the truth of your holy word. We pray that you would illuminate through your spirit. And Father, as we explore this, this day in the life of Jesus, Father, would you cause our eyes to see, our ears to hear? Would we encounter you perhaps in a way that we never have before? And Father, would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What comes to mind when you hear the word authority? I know that's a heavy hitter, kind of right off the bat. This can be a tricky subject, admittedly, in this day and age. And perhaps you or someone you know has said before that they have a self-proclaimed authority problem. I have a close buddy who was very clear with that and what did he do? He went and joined the army. Now, I would not recommend that as a viable solution if you find yourself in this kind of uh, temperament. But uh, surprisingly enough for him, it caused him to thrive. But uh, I do not recommend it typically. Jesus says in Mark 28, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen: all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Talk about a radical claim. Here in Mark, chapter 1, 21 through 39, we come face to face with the powerful authority of Jesus. And people react in such a way as it causes them to say, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. A new teaching and with authority. This word for authority comes from the same root as author. Jesus was here explaining the story of their lives before them as the author of life, the author of life. And what did it do? It left them utterly amazed. If you haven't already, please turn to Mark chapter one, starting there in verse 21. And In our time together, we're going to look at first the powerful authority of Jesus and then the prayerful ministry of Jesus. And finally, our personal response to Jesus. So let's start by diving into the powerful authority of Jesus there in verses 21 through 34. I believe this powerful authority is demonstrated in at least three ways. First, Jesus' teaching, his teaching that centered on the good news of the kingdom of God, as we saw back in verses 14 and 15. His teaching demonstrates his powerful authority. We see his teaching beginning in the local synagogue there in verse 21. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. This town of Capernaum was on the northwestern shore of the Sea of Galilee. It would become the base of operations for this growing band of Christ followers. And it was a metropolitan city as well. It had Jews and Gentiles, Roman officials, Roman soldiers. And it is the home of Peter that would become, as I mentioned, this base of operations. That factors significantly into the story, as we'll see. The Sabbath, if you're familiar with that, is the Jewish day of of worship. begins on sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And so it is fitting that we find Jesus in the synagogue. This place, this central fixture of the village that was used for scriptural study, for worship, for education, and really was like a a community center, like a nerve hive of the village. And leaders would often invite visiting teachers to share, to expound the scripture. And so perhaps that's what Jesus was invited to do here as he proclaimed the gospel, centering on the kingdom of God. Mark does give us some examples of Jesus' teaching along the way, perhaps in in Matthew's gospel, the most famous being the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7. But Mark seems to be more concerned with the people's reaction. His emphasis is on the, the authority of Jesus and the reaction of the people. I think we'll also see how miracles and the casting out of demons here accompanied his teaching and showed that God's presence was with him. His teaching was met with amazement. Verse 22, the people were amazed at his teaching. Amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. This amazement is a regular reaction to Jesus' teaching in Mark's gospel. If you're the type that likes to circle or highlight or underline in the text, do that whenever you see the word amazed, for instance amazed the authority that was inherent in Jesus words and actions led to constant amazement along the way and here was the author of life explaining the story of their very lives and they were as we might say in today's you know today's way of saying it we, they were completely blown away completely blown away they were amazed because his teaching was filled with authority Rather than simply repeating human traditions, Jesus' teaching had divine authority. The teachers of the law, or scribes, were skilled in expositing the law of Moses. It was like basically combining professor and theologian and civil lawyer all kind of into one role. And their authority was derived, as Jesus points out later in Mark 7, their authority was derived from human traditions. Human traditions. So Jesus' authority completely transcended theirs. In Mark, the scribes become some of Jesus' strongest opponents. And they are among those that will be the ones that call for his death as well. So I, I love how William Lane put this when he said, Jesus' word presented with sovereign authority, which permitted neither debate nor theoretical reflection, confronted the congregation with the absolute claim of God upon the whole person. So Jesus' teaching of the good news of the kingdom of God demonstrates his powerful authority. Second, Jesus' deliverance of people oppressed by demons demonstrates his powerful authority. What is especially striking is how the demon there beginning in verse 23, 24, how the demon acknowledges Jesus' true identity. Verse 23. Just then a man in their synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Of all the places... For Jesus to come across his first impure spirit, or his first demon in Mark's gospel, it is in a place of worship. A place of worship. Christ's preaching of the good news, I believe, causes this outburst among this particular impure spirit. And the demon tries to resist Jesus' power and teaching of the kingdom of God. What do you want with us? This drips with fear. The demon sees Jesus as a threat to his power, a threat to his authority as well, and yes, to his even very existence. Have you come to destroy us? The demon understands even more clearly than the people at this point who Jesus really is. He calls him Jesus of Nazareth, his hometown, and what this does is it emphasizes Jesus' human identity. And then he calls him the Holy One of God, recognizing his divine identity as well but but far from any sort of confession on the part of this demon this is actually an attempt on his part to try to control Jesus to gain control over Jesus by naming him this was one of the prevalent views of the day that by naming someone you might gain control over them and Jesus will have none of it he rebukes the demon and it says that he responds immediately be quiet Jesus said sternly, come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The demon's defensiveness is no match for the sovereign command of of Jesus. And all Jesus has to do here is issue a few single words, direct words. There's no long incantation. There's no magical spell that's needed here. No, I believe even this demonstrates his powerful authority. And it is, it is no contest. It is, not, it is not as though we have two you know, equal authorities that are, that are combating one another. No, it is no contest. It is an immediate knockout. But as we'll see, this conflict that's brewing, this conflict with the enemy will continue throughout Mark as the inbreaking of the kingdom of God pushes back against the spiritual forces of darkness. The people react in amazement and end up spreading the news. Look at verse 27. The people people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. They were undoubtedly amazed at the effectiveness in simply ordering the demon to leave, which in turn then reinforced Jesus' authoritative teaching that he had done earlier. And while they did not fully understand who Jesus is or what his presence meant, they had no categories for what they were witnessing, something completely and utterly different. And as a result, word got out. The villages in this time and in this place, we're often very close to one another. We're often full of people as well, and shared many connections, families. And so this is like an original sense of going viral, I suppose. As word got out about this, this man, this, what, would, what we would probably would have liked to have seen at this point was a confession on the part of the people. And they're following Jesus, much like the disciples in verse 16 through 20. But what we see, at least, is the stirring up of questions in their mind. What is this? A new teaching with authority. Jesus' deliverance of people oppressed by demons demonstrates his powerful authority. And third, Jesus' healing of people overwhelmed by disease demonstrates his powerful authority. Look at verses 29 through 34 where Jesus begins by showing concern for an individual, Simon's mother-in-law, and heals her with but a gentle touch. Verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went up to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. Wow. That phrase at the beginning there, as soon as they left the synagogue, connects these verses with the verses before, the same day, the same Sabbath day. And here we see these four disciples that Jesus first called in Mark 1, 16 through 20. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. As we know from 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, Peter was married And these disciples, they made Jesus aware of his mother-in-law's sickness. And I love this picture that we see of Jesus here. Him caring for and loving his disciples, his closest followers, and their families as well. He heals her simply by taking her by the hand and raising her up. This phrase, raising her up, raising up is one that is frequently found in his healings. We'll see this again and again throughout the Gospel of Mark. He raises her up. The fever vanishes without a trace. And she is restored to full health. And Jesus' compassion on her so powerfully affects her that it causes her to get up and to minister to others. I love that picture as well. She gets up and begins to serve those around her. Well, not only does Jesus show concern for the individual, but he also shows concern for the many. The many who are brought to Jesus, presumably by their friends and loved ones, those that were concerned about them and their their particular plight. Look at verse 32 and following. That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Word had gotten out even more, and since the Sabbath ended at sunset, work could be done, that sort of work in bringing, carrying perhaps even friends and loved ones to Jesus. And here, even in these verses, it recalls the two types of healings Jesus already performed that day, that of casting out a demon and of healing Peter's mother-in-law and shows how he has supreme authority not only over the supernatural but over the natural as well. Natural and supernatural affliction. Jesus' healings point to God's coming to restore his people. And his casting out of demons shows that the kingdom of God is advancing and there's nothing that can stop it. I think it's worth pointing out, though, in these verses that Mark makes a distinction between sickness and demon possession. Did you notice that in the text? Verse 32, all the sick and demon-possessed. Verse 34, Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. Sickness and disease are absolutely the result, the result of the fall. but that they do not necessarily involve demonic influence. I think that's an important distinction to see here. And the fact that Jesus would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was is part of what comes to be known as the messianic secret. The messianic secret. Jesus didn't want their confession, the confession of these demons, to confuse or to mislead people, especially given the fact that Their expectations about who the Messiah would be were so off. The time would come for Jesus in his full identity to be revealed. But it was not yet. Not yet. Well, not only do we see the powerful authority of Jesus on full display in this passage, but we also see his prayerful ministry. His prayerful ministry, verses 35 to 39. I believe there are two priorities that we see here, in this, that is still this this time period that is still a part of like a twenty four hour um, time period within this story, this day in Capernaum. Two priorities. First, the priority of prayer. Jesus communed with his Father, and refueled for the mission. Look at verse thirty five. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. With these, you know, crowded homes and villages, it, was, it would have been hard to have found time and a place to be alone. People normally got up when the sun rose as well, so Jesus, we see him getting up even before that to commune with his father. He needed time with his father. He went to a a solitary place. It could also be translated a desolate place. This is the same word that is used of the wilderness in which John proclaimed repentance and also where Jesus was tested, this desolate place. And the language suggests that this wasn't just a brief time. No, that it may have involved even hours. And Jesus is still praying when Simon arrives, His ministry, church, his ministry was marked by prayer. And he found empowerment and strength through prayer. We'll see this in Mark, these prayers at crucial times within his life and within his ministry. His ministry was marked by prayer. We'll come back to that. Second priority. Then the priority of proclamation. Jesus was not distracted from his mission, even by other seemingly worthy things. Let's pick it up again in verse 36. Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. The disciples seemed concerned with immediate needs here in this passage. They may have been swept up in the excitement of the crowds and even in Jesus' newfound popularity as well. And they didn't understand Jesus' mission or why he went far, why he went off on his own to commune with his father but Jesus responds to them here essentially in a statement of his very purpose, his very purpose. He was intentional about moving on to the next town, why? In obedience to his father's call to proclaim, to proclaim the gospel throughout the entire region of Galilee. Jesus is more interested in the quality of people's response than in the quantity of the crowd. And then in verse 39, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons is what essentially comes to characterize his early ministry. It is a summary statement in many ways. And so in light of the powerful authority and the prayerful mission of Jesus, I believe we have a personal response that we are called to. Our personal response can be found in this bottom line. The powerful authority of Jesus lays claim to every aspect of our lives and stirs those who have been healed to serve others, to commune with our Father, and to continue Christ's mission. Let's break that down together here. Jesus, I love this picture that we see of him, cares. Jesus cares about all that we face in this fallen and sin-ravaged world. And like those who were sick, or oppressed by demons, let us, let us as well, let us run to he who is the very author of life. He knows every hair on our head. He knows every anxious thought. He knew every one of our days before they ever came to be. And Jesus has absolute authority over all creation. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. He wants all of us every aspect of our lives, every fiber of our being, and calls us to live continuously, to live under his powerful authority. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And so for those who have experienced his spiritual healing through the cross, let us respond in service to those around us. Let us jump at the opportunity to minister to others out of thankful hearts for our, the healing that is found in our Savior. God's healing in our lives is not something just to bottle up or to keep within us. No, it, is, it propels, it compels us to serve those around us. But even as we serve and minister to others, we too must remember what the true source of strength is. Just as Jesus got away in solitude and spent time communing with his Father, so should we. So should we. So many of us are running on fumes I believe the sequence that we find in verse 35 of how Jesus got up, left, went off, and prayed, four kind of verbs right after the other, I believe that this emphasizes his resolve, his intentionality to spend time with his Father, to spend time with his Father. May we also find strength in intimate fellowship with God through regular prayer and solitude. Like Jesus, we need to be refueled and refreshed for what it is that God has called us to. Here's another way of thinking about it. It is so easy for us who are weary to also find ourselves in a a place of of being parched, of feeling dry. And the ministering we are able to do to others almost feels like, like flinging water droplets at people. I probably should have had a cup up here to give you an image of that, but think about it in your mind. It's like, like a cup that has barely anything in it, dipping our finger in there and just trying to flick water droplets at people. It's not a way of trying to spread holy water or anything like that. It's just an image that comes to mind, I suppose. It's probably good that I didn't bring that so I wouldn't hit anyone here in the front. But I believe what Jesus wants of us, calls us to, in Communing with our Creator is that we would find our refilling, that we would find our refreshment in Him. And what would what that would do? What that does is it causes us then to minister, to minister to those around us out of the overflow of what He does in our hearts and in our lives. Picture that that same glass being filled to overflowing and water flowing, the cup running over, right? feeling to overflowing and those around us catching some of what is what is overflowing out of us that is my prayer my prayer for all of us is that we would serve others out of the overflow out of the abundance of what god is doing in our own lives but even in hearing this that he, we that my prayer is that he would cause us to serve others out of the overflow of what he is doing even as we continue The mission that Christ has initiated and continues in and through us. May we too not be distracted, perhaps like the disciples, distracted by other seemingly worthy things, or find ourselves too busy, too busy to spend time alone with God. Let us not be about building our own following or getting swept up in what is popular or find ourselves perhaps being overcome by the the tyranny of the urgent. Everyone is looking for you. This passage should serve as a reminder to remain fiercely focused on the mission that Christ has given us, his mission of proclaiming and practicing the gospel of the kingdom, not in our own strength, but in prayerful dependence upon our holy God. Proclaiming and practicing the gospel of the kingdom. This gospel begins with the very author of life who created you and me in his image, in his likeness. The prophet Ezekiel reminds us that we were designed to have the Holy Spirit within us. But sin entered the world and came to affect and infect everything. Creation groans as we await our liberation from bondage to decay, as Romans 8 reminds us. And yet the story that God authored continued in his calling of a people to himself, the people of Israel, he came to be known and expressed by the psalmists and by the prophets alike as the Holy One of Israel. 29 times in Isaiah is he called the Holy One of Israel. And in the scriptures, God is the one who heals his people of all their diseases. Exodus 15, Psalm 103, perhaps, which we are most familiar with often as the assurance that we hear following our taking of communion together. And by faith, the prophets saw the day when the longed-for Messiah would appear. Like in Isaiah 53, 4 and 5, which says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering." Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so it was that God sent his one and only son to walk among us to experience life here on earth as the servant king. And even as he cast out impure spirits. It was integral to his restoring of the image of God in humanity. And through time, Jesus' followers began to see what perhaps the demons had already known beforehand. They began to see, like Peter, who said, we have come to believe and to know, John 6:69, 6, that you are the Holy One of God. You are the Holy One of God. Now on the lips of Peter, one of his followers, rather than on on the lips of the demons. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And so Peter. Peter would come then to powerfully confess in his sermon in Acts 3, 13 through 15, which really could be, almost read in concert with this passage here when he declares the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life. But God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. That's Acts 3, 13 through 15. The author of life would then become, as the writer of Hebrews puts, the author of our salvation. The author of life would also become the author and perfecter of our faith, according to Hebrews 12. The one who has already run the race before us. And now cheers us on in the race that is before us. As we await our liberation too from this bondage of decay. Romans 8. But the day is coming when, yes, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Church, He will make all things new for his own glory. He will make all things new. That picture is is found in Revelation 21. And so this normal day, this day in Capernaum, this normal day in the life of Jesus was anything but normal. To those who encountered his absolute authority and his curse reversing power, perhaps for the very first time, And perhaps there are some here as well who may be encountering Jesus' powerful authority and curse-reversing power for the very first time. Others being reminded of these truths, finding ourselves in a place of weariness, finding ourselves parched. Jesus declares, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. As we know, as it says elsewhere in Scripture, there there remains a Sabbath day of rest. We look forward to our, our final rest in his arms, in the arms of our dear Savior. Just as their lives were never the same, may our lives never be the same as well. Why? For by his wounds we have been healed. Amen, church. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this this power-packed day in the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we see the ways in which you served and ministered as the servant king, how you gave of yourself in love, that love that compelled you then to go to the cross. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We pray that you through your spirit, would fill us to overflowing. Lord, those of us that find ourselves in a place of weariness, would you draw us to you? Would we drink deeply? And would you refuel us for that, oh, that important mission that you've given us? Father, we ask for your grace and strength through your spirit to give ourselves in proclaiming and practicing your gospel, to seeing the kingdom of God continue to beat back against the spiritual forces of darkness. Would you use us as instruments of your grace in seeing your healing expand in our hearts, in our families, in our community, and in this hurting and broken world. We love you. We pray this in the precious and matchless name of Jesus, looking forward to his return. Amen. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening to this
1: week's message. To hear more messages from EBF, subscribe to our podcast. And to find out how to get connected with our church, visit ebfchurch.org.